Hello everyone, and welcome to episode 321 of the MTG Goldfish Podcast. I'm Seth, probably better known as Saffron Olive, and we have the full crew here this week, kicking things off with the owner of MTG Goldfish, Richard. How's it going this fine Monday, Richard? Hey Seth, I'm doing well. How are you doing? I am doing wonderful. It is uh, finally a little bit springish in New York. It's like 60, 65, which is like balmy uh, for for upstate New York this time of year. So uh, feeling pretty good this morning, enjoying the spring weather, but eh, that's not the topic of our cast. And before we get to that, we got another co-host in Krim. How's it going today, Krim? I am extremely sore because I also enjoyed the spring weather and I went <laughs> snowboarding and now I, I fell all day long. All day. <laughs> oh, I, like, oh my for, for like seven hours, I just fell. <laughs> yes. Uh, I, I went snowboarding once. I lived in uh, Colorado for a while and people convinced me to go. And uh, I didn't realize you're supposed to dress for it. So I just wore <laughs> jeans. And then oh. and then I I basically just rolled down the mountain for like eight hours and never went snowboarding again after that. <laughs> So uh so yeah I know I know your pain grandma yeah. very well. <laughs> uh anyway, we're going to do something a little bit different today. Uh, it's kind of a slowish news week in the magic world. So uh we're just before Strixhaven spoilers. That starts Thursday. We're out of Time to Power remastered spoilers. So we're kind of in between things. So we're going to talk some MTG finance. And uh if you've been following the podcast for a long time, you'll know that when we started this cast that was kind of like one of our main themes. We had every week a like finance segment, and that was one of the big focuses of our cast. We've kind of moved away from that, but we thought it would make a fun special episode to like catch up on a bunch of finance-related topics. So that is a plan for today. MTG Finance, also Fish Mail. But before we get into that, a reminder that our show today is brought to you by Card Conduit. And speaking of finance, maybe you got some cards you got to buy a list, but you don't want to go through the hassles of typing and sorting and shipping. Well, Card Conduit, they're the easiest way to sell your cards. And if you want to avoid all those hassles, all the time it takes to sell your cards, this new service from the folks over at Card Hoarder will sort, grade, and sell your magic cards for you. And once your shipment is processed, you'll get the proceeds minus their fee. And right now you can even get a 10% discount by heading over to cardconduit.com slash goldfish. So thank you to Card Conduit for supporting the show. And uh, let's talk some magic. So we're going to jump around a little bit today with finance topics. And I think probably a good baseline is uh, I mentioned in the intro, we've been doing this podcast, what, 321 episodes, five years, more than five years now. It's been a while. Uh, and I think that the finance world has changed quite a bit in that time from when we first started. So, uh, Richard, how do you see MTG Finance as having changed, like, since we started doing this podcast? I was going to ask you, Steph, <laughs> catch me up from Boomer <laughs> Finances. So it used to be very simple, right? It used to be very simple before Commander, right? The only thing that drove prices was... Uh, competitive decks and competitive decks were very easy to follow because back in the day we had uh, pro tours and we had PTQs and they had seasons, right? So you had seasons. So like this PTQ season would be modern. So coming into a modern PTQ season, you know, modern prices would go up, right? We had three set releases a year, uh, you know, and, you know, at rotation, Prices would like tank for the cards rotating out. You would pick them up for modern. It was a very easy world. Uh, the only thing we had were basically booster boxes, right? And then just like the random supplemental here or there. 
But over the years, things have gotten really muddy. We have uh, basically like a billion set releases a year now. We have so many set releases plus supplemental products. We have Secret Layer, which is an entirely new model because it's selling direct to consumers. So Wizards is setting the price. Uh, and then we have Commander, which is really throwing a monkey wrench into things because cards that may not see play in standard can still be very expensive, right? And, you know, they may not be modern playable or anything, but they're very expensive due to commander demand. And then finally, I think the thing that we feel most as competitive players is arena. Um, paper prices don't matter too much. A lot of magic is being played on arena, especially with the pandemic going on. You don't really need to buy cards. You just play online and money just goes into arena and never comes back out. So finance has changed a lot. So that's why uh, we want to talk today about like, what does it look like? When is the best time to buy a card? Like for commander, for standard, uh, should you even buy modern cards? What about the reserve list? <laughs> what, what does that do? Like over the past five years, like I don't know, we started with Wheel of Fortune, like $20? I don't know, right? Ridiculously <laughs> low amount. Like and we're like, that's expensive, man. <laughs> Uh, welcome to 2021 where like literally everything on the reserve list is being bought out. Uh, is the dream of buying power nine even attainable anymore by anyone? Right. Uh, that, that used to be a dream of many people when we started this podcast. If you're a legacy player, a vintage player, you'd be like, one day I want power nine. I want a mox that may be out of reach now. Right. So yeah, a couple topics we want to talk about. See where we land in this pandemic. MTG Arena, Commander, Secret Lair, too many magic products, landscape. <laughs> what what does finance look like nowadays? Yeah, I mean, I think you hit on some of the, the really big things. I think by far the biggest change and a theme that's probably going to come up throughout this podcast is the rise of Commander, really. Like for me, that is the change. I remember when we first started doing the podcast and starting talking finance like five years ago. And even before that, I was like writing articles and so forth. It really was all about constructed. Like it was what performed well in a tournament, what deck uh, that no one expected broke out and the cards from that deck would spike. That doesn't really happen anymore. Like maybe a little bit in modern, not to any great extreme. You don't see cards like doubling and tripling in price. But if a deck gets good in modern, you'll see those cards creeping up in price. But really today it is all about commander, like tournament results are kind of secondary, standard, modern, legacy. Those are all kind of secondary. And if you look at just recent sets and the most expensive cards from those sets, you're going to see cards that a few years ago we would have kind of just laughed at and been like, oh, you know, whatever, like that's a casual card, not going to be worth anything. But now you have like Fire Emancipation, one of the most <laughs> valuable cards in the set over legitimate standard and even modern staples. Fire Emancipation is worth more than like Teferi. It's worth more than Elder Gargaroth. It's worth more than a lot of really played cards in that trend it continues through a lot of sets. You see the great henges of the world, oh. chromatic ories of the world. Like those cards are the most valuable, most in demand sets. Sometimes you get like a little bit of double trouble where you have like a Vorinclex or a great henge that sees playing standard and is great in commander. And those cards are usually really expensive. But now when you're looking at card prices and looking at spoilers, uh, from a finance perspective, I'm looking for the best commander cards from the set, the cards that everyone's going to want in their commander deck and what's going to be good in standard is really kind of secondary for the most part. Uh, what do you, what do you think about all this, Grim? 
I mean, yeah, like that, that's just something that kind of, I, I never got, I, I, I was always like caught off guard by, right? Like originally, like when I was looking at why is Avison like $25 still or something like that one, that was, you know, cause I think, what is it? We were three years removed from that being in standard. I, I can't even remember, but like commander and like keeping all these random cards, super pricey, just used to catch me off guard. Now I am just like you looking for the commander card, right? Like great henge. I can't believe that card is like 60 bucks or something like that. 40 bucks. Who knows? I mean, it's somewhere around there, right? It's like $50. And I, yeah, yeah, I, I just can't believe that. I mean, to right now, you just let me know about fiery emancipation. I, I didn't even <laughs> know that. I thought that card was like $2 cause I bought it and I put it in my mono red deck for commander and that's about it. Right. But yeah, there's a lot of things that commander just spikes in price now. And like, I mean, I feel like Commander is the main format now that that's going to be driving the paper market, if if I'm being honest. I mean, like this, I've felt this way for about almost two years now, three years. I mean, I would say since probably 2019, it felt like Commander really drove the price of paper magic. Yeah, I mean, uh, it really, really is. I think if you want a, an easy example of that, like Heroic Intervention has just got reprinted. At rare, and it's like a $12, $13 card. And then if you look down the same set, Thieves Guild Enforcer, standard, staple, hated by everyone from the Rogues deck, it's like two bucks. Maze Mind's Tome, it's like two bucks. So being great in standard just doesn't mean anything. A Snoop, a Conspicuous Snoop, a modern staple combo piece, a buck fifty, but a random Veto, or a random Mangara, or a random reprinted uh, Heroic Intervention, those cards are legit staples. So I think it's very true that Commander is driving the market. Although I got a question for uh, for both of you, which is, how much of this do you think is thanks to uh, the combination of increased digital play and also the pandemic? I think that's one of the most interesting questions. We saw this trend even before the pandemic shut down Paper Magic. We already saw Commander uh, kind of taking over the finance world for the most part over the last like few years that had been heading that direction. But we've also had a pandemic where it kind of makes sense that your random paper standard card that doesn't see playing commander might not be that expensive because you're not playing paper right now uh, or you haven't been for the past year too much. And you have arena where a lot of people are playing standard. Do you think that once the pandemic is quote unquote over and we're like back to quote unquote normal, whether that be this summer or fall, whenever we're heading that direction, do you think that's going to change? Do you think all of a sudden we're going to see paper standard cards shooting up in price or modern? Do you think people have been waiting to buy their modern cards because they can't really play them right now? And then we're going to see huge price spikes of all these modern staples because people are getting back to paper magic. Or do you think what we're seeing right now is just the new normal? And this is how magic's going to be. And people are going to play 60 card formats online. They're going to buy commander cards and paper. And, uh, and that's what the market looks like. I mean, <clears throat> I think right now there's just overall just a lot of uh you know just really really pricey card games like there's there's pokemon right i mean people like you can't even buy booster packs of pokemon anymore uh i, I try to go to target and and i just like remember seeing like there's maybe one pack left on the shelves right and so card games overall right now are just the the hotness I, everyone's buying and like trying to do box openings and all this other stuff and I, I think right now card games are actually just like paper card games are booming. So um I don't know if this will stay this way, but like I feel like that's currently just the thing to do. So 
At least that's my take on it, I think. Yeah. I think that's true for old stuff, right? If you want like old Pokemon cards, oh, you better, you know, fork over a ton of money. Well, look and at the new sets. Look at the new sets, too. Those are flying off but, the shelves. But, but new sets are like for kids, right? Like they're, I don't know that they're collectors or financy type people, but it's more like, you know, Pokemon has always been sold for kids and your parents will just go and buy some Pokemon cards for you. And like, you have no idea what they are. Or, you know, basically when we bought kids, uh, cards as kids, right? You're not following the meta. You're not doing it. You're just buying whatever. And, you know, Pokemon has been very popular with the McDonald's promotions, uh, you know, bringing it into awareness and then all these box openings. So I think Pokemon is a bit of a special case, but you're right in the sense that card games in general have just gotten a lot more exposure recently. But I don't know that that will, quote unquote, save Paper Magic. I think Paper Magic is really kind of done. Uh, and I think it's namely in part due to how Wizards has handled the various formats. Like, can you imagine it's pre-release uh, and you're looking at previews for Throne of Eldraine and you're like, wow, Oko is an insane card. I'm so smart. I can like once upon a time into uh, the goose, into Oko, and I will just run rampant over tournaments. So you drop $300, $400 on your deck. And a month later, it's banned. Right? Like, are you really going to keep doing this? And Standard has been like this for like a year or two now, right? Where the decks just rotate so fast. People were complaining at twice a year rotation. Your decks are like literally rotating like every other month as the Standard ban list gets shifted around. Uh, same with modern, right? Like Jund right now is kind of the new hotness, right? Jund is back. All the scary blue cards are gone. Are you going to drop $3,000 on Jund for them to print another Mystic Sanctuary in Strixhaven? Like invalidating your entire deck, right? What if they put another Uro in and like Tarmogoyf goes back to the basement, right? Are you really going to spend $3,000 on a Jund deck? And I think the answer is no, right? Like I think... The days of like going back to Paper Magic and buying really expensive competitive decks is gone because the decks rotate too fast. It's too much of an investment. You can play a commander deck for, you know, a hundred, two hundred dollars and be relatively rest assured. Your deck is still like somewhat functional, even with power creep. Whereas in modern, you know, the, the tier one deck you bought could just be banned out, could be replaced so quickly. Like, would you really buy all those? So I, I, I think there will be a return to Paper Magic, but. Uh, not to the same extent as before. Like, you know, just out of curiosity, you'll, you'll take like your budget mono red deck, go to FNM just to see what FNM looks like, like post pandemic. But I don't think people will be dropping like $300 on, on the next standard tier one deck. They'll just play an arena. I think that's a really good point about the bannings and about the number of products that have been coming out. It is really hard to justify, uh, for a lot of people, I think, Investing in the Okos and Uros and even into expensive modern decks. Just looking at the the modern metagame page, modern prices are still not cheap. Like a lot of decks are five hundred to a thousand dollars. That's a lot of money to spend. And you like to think of modern as like this safe haven. And to some extent, like yeah, your Jun deck is still like kind of hanging out, or your Tron deck is still kind of hanging out. But with the powerful cards we get today, with things like Modern Horizons, with the number of bannings we get, even there, it's not guaranteed that you can just buy a thousand dollar deck and play it unchanged for years and years like you used to be able to. So I think that's a really good point that 
I don't know if it's wise to invest in expensive cards for formats like Standard or even Modern anymore just because there's so much upheaval and formats change so quickly compared to where they, uh, how they did in the past, especially when you can buy paper cards for Commander and know there's pretty much no risk of them getting banned. Like very few things actually get banned in Commander. And even if they get banned, it's usually just like random stuff that isn't super expensive anyway. That's just like really good in certain decks or it gets banned very quickly. So it's not as much of a concern for commander and you don't have that risk on arena or on magic online where your cards are already worthless on arena. Like that's how the economy works on magic online. You can lose a loan program. So if I'm thinking that I want an expensive modern deck or standard deck, I think it makes way more sense to invest that money digitally than invest it in paper just because formats change so quickly these days and there's so many bannings and so many powerful cards being put out that you just don't really have any guarantee they're going to be able to use that expensive deck for a long period of time which is very different than in the past so i agree that paper magic is going to come back and maybe we'll see prices go up to some extent because i imagine like the demand for modern cards or whatever has to have been pretty low the last couple years but i'm not expecting like a full-on revival and a shift back to how things were five years ago whatever i think commander is still basically going to be the king when it comes to uh, paper prices along with all the weird special stuff Wizards is printing, like the uh, like made-to-be collectible cards, weird stuff in collector's boosters, uh, various promos and showcase cards, like that stuff will probably still maintain value. But even that is driven by Commander, I think, more than constructed players for the most part. So what do you think of the idea that like modern players and standard players just became Commander players and only Commander players? That in... The year of Commander in the last year or two, instead of getting new players, uh, we just actually took competitive spikes and converted them into casual. And once they've turned casual, they, they won't go back. Do you uh, think there's any I merit mean, to that? Or do you think, um, I, you know, I think the spikes will come back? Like, like, I think spikes will come back, right? Or uh, some, some will. I mean, I, I can't really speak to all of them, but I, I don't know how much of modern and whatnot ma- directly makes it so that, you know, like if you played modern and there's nothing going on, you're going to become a commander player. Cause I feel like that, that moderns and just like 60 card formats just have different philosophies in the game than, than, you know, what commander brings. Yeah. I think for me, the bigger concern is not spikes converting to commander. Like I do know some people who have told me, well, there's a pandemic going on. I don't have any place to play a modern deck. So I bought some commander stuff instead because I can play that with my friends or play that at home, you know, in a safe place where I don't have to go out to tournaments. So I think that's happened to some extent. But I think for me, I think the more uh, systemic change is really arena. I think arena has probably converted some people who used to buy a lot of paper magic cards, drive around their state or region, going to PTQs, going to GPs, uh, into digital players, because that's where the tournaments are now. And I don't think that's going to change. Like, sure, we'll have paper tournaments, but I don't think we're going to go back to arena being an afterthought and then paper being where all the PTQs and qualifiers are. I think what we're seeing now with arena opens and qualifying for whatever championship, uh, Caldheim championship through arena, I think that's all going to continue. So I think that's where the change comes from spikes. I think a lot of them are still spikes. I just think a lot of them are going to be digital spikes now because that's where the qualifiers 
qualifiers are. And it's way easier to sit in your house and play a qualifier than to drive six hours to some, you know, random PTQ and hope for spiking it and making it. Yeah. Like that's, <laughs> that's the it's, fun. It's more that's the fun of, I don't know how fun it is because it's like tiring. That, that, was, that was always the worst part. <laughs> but the first or second time you do it, it's so fun, right? You get in a car with like your buddies. For like six hours, you drive to the middle of nowhere in hopes of like taking down this hundred person PTQ. And then what do you do? You mull the four like <laughs> twice in your opening game. <laughs> you, so then you're you like, mull the four. <laughs> you mull the four, and on the bubble, you play your friend that you rode with. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so, that, that part so of magic yeah. is gone, right? We're, I don't think we're like. It, it's fun, but if you think about it, like, you never do it, right? You're like, or I could just sit at home in my underwear, queue up in an arena open and call it a day, right? Uh, I like but, that. <laughs> but yeah, that, that's yeah. a part of magic that's kind of, that, that will be missed, but no one will realize, right? Uh, hopefully it's for the best. My guess is as far as paper, we see like command fests or magic fests, big convention style events like that, but we don't see a return to the full grind PTQs, drive all over the place. And eh, that's, I don't know. I would assume most people would be okay with that. Sure. I guess there's some nostalgia for, you know, hanging out with your friends and driving around. But I think in the long run, I would be much happier playing a, a qualifier <laughs> at home than driving six hours to a to Moldafor and a PTQ. Yeah, I mean, we already saw that with, like, the last Magic Fest, where uh, Magic Fest Vegas, I mean, uh, two years ago, mostly mostly uh, tournament players, mostly standard and moderate decks. Uh, the last year it happened, mostly, mo- uh, mostly Commander. Like, most people were there to play Commander. There were very mm-hmm. few people playing spike decks and they were all like me right yeah i have my meme deck from five years ago in modern you want to play <laughs> right but i have like all these commander decks if you want to play commander so we've we're already seeing that shift where those big events are for casual players for commander players now rather than you know spikes with like a couple tables for commander players it's like a huge commander playing area and then there's like a gp going on in the corner somewhere if you care about it isn't that how it should have always been though I feel like when you think about like how con- like cons are and stuff like that, right? I feel like yeah. that's and like what magic should like it, what magic wants to be and what you know how everybody views magic. Like I feel like commander captures that, right? Uh, play what you want, have fun with friends, all of that. Like and that's what a, a GP or a convention about magic should have always been, anyways. With a side event that is the competitive part of magic. Yeah, I agree yeah, with that. I think we've. We've definitely seen that change where uh, it has went more that direction where five, ten years ago, GPs were tournaments and basically just tournaments for the most part. And now they're conventions that may or may not actually have like a, you know, a modern tournament or whatever. And I think that's a good direction to go uh, in this day and age. What do you guys think? We've kind of talked about what's been going on with finance in general. And there's I think one thing people always come back to when it comes to finance is the price of cards and wizards reprinting cards and fetch lands being so expensive or this commander card or reserve list stuff being so expensive. So my question for you is, do you think wizards is doing enough to reprint expensive cards? Uh, are we where we need to be? Are we heading in that direction? What do you think about the amount and the specific reprints that we've been getting recently? I, I think that no matter how much they're trying to reprint right now, I don't know if it's going to meet the demand of the format that is Commander. <laughs> Just like no matter what they're doing, they're already, I feel like, behind. 
because commander every day it just gets bigger and bigger um i mean cards are just climbing back up uh things that have been reprinted recently and and you know like which is like great when you think about like how, how where commander is a format's going but like also yeah i i this is where I think Secret Layer really helps. Because then let's say you just do an imprompt like, a, oh, an emergency reprint through Secret Layer. Here you go. Uh, you can have the Moto Art versions of these cards in a Secret Layer. Yay. You know what I mean? Something like that. Yeah. I think like the, the secret to reprints is prices never lower. Uh, they, I, they go on sale. I, Though, yeah, but I mean, like, just like overall, like, the price you pay for magic never goes down. And, uh, I'm, I'm gonna give you a story, but I'm pretty sure we can pull up some data to make sure this is a fact, which we should probably figure out how. But, uh, when, when I was following, like, standard prices or modern prices, right? Let's say you're trying to play Jund and they reprint Tarmogoyf. So Tarmogoyf, like, gets a $50 discount. You would think your Jund deck is cheaper, right? But if you actually look at the prices, what happens is, like, some garbage old card in Jund suddenly becomes expensive. And something like, say, like Bobble in like Death Shadow, right? When Death Shadow is expensive, suddenly Bobble just shot up because they reprinted other cards. If Lily gets reprinted, like the, the second or third uh, most old card in the deck will shoot up. And the net is the deck costs the same. So, uh, you know, you need to basically own all the pieces, grab the card on discount, and then you're good. But if you're just trying to buy into the deck, like right as reprints happen, like some other old cards will just spike, right? And the price of magic remains the same and there's like really no difference to you. And I think that goes for commander. Like if you just look at any popular commander decks, when they reprint a card, uh, that card will drop in price. Something else, the next in line will become an old staple that's hard to get. You know, some old card from Mirage, previously a dollar, now $10, because that's what all the players are funneling their money into to complete their decks. So no matter what Wizards does, I don't think they can ever solve this, because there's always like the next old card, right? You'll be like, oh, there's this Ur Urza's Legacy card that's played in Commander and is very popular. Now it's like a billion dollars. We reprint that, someone will find something from Odyssey or something, right? And it just keeps going. Like Magic players have a set price they're willing to pay and they'll always pay that much. So as something goes down, they'll just funnel that money into something else. And I feel that Magic has remained kind of the same or more expensive over time rather than cheaper. I think I think that's mostly true. Like yeah. if you just look at popular modern decks, uh, lots of stuff gets reprinted, but the total deck prices are often about where they usually are. Like something new comes along, it's expensive, like you want in your deck. Like Jund is a good example. They reprint Tarmogoyf into the ground. They've reprinted Liliata. They've reprinted Thoughtseize a bunch of times. Uh, but still, you got Ren and Six now, which is like the new hotness in your deck, which is an expensive card. And when you shift through all that, Jun's still $1,500, where Jun <laughs> usually is in modern. So I think that's a good point. I think the way to get around that as a player is kind of like delayed uh, satisfaction, gratification. What you got to do is you have to pick up your Tarmogoyfs now because they just got reprinted and they're $30 or whatever, even though that's not going to give you a deck you can play. And then when they reprint Liliana next and it goes down to $50 from $100, you get your Lilianas and eventually that will give you, you know, modern Jund at a pretty good price. The problem is 
no one really wants to do that because magic's a game and you want to play a game and just like buying, spending a bunch of money on Tarmogoyfs, $120 on a playset or whatever. And then being like, okay, I'm probably not going to use these for like three years until I can pick up the rest of the pieces. No one wants to play the game that way. So I think that's, that's kind of the, the issue here. Like there are ways you can get into decks on the cheap, but you can't just do it right away. Even when one of the important cards from the deck is reprinted, you got to do it over the course of time, but then you're not playing magic during that time instead you're treating it like you're an accountant or something and doing someone's taxes and that's not really why you play games for the most part i i think uh yeah like that that's that's such a weird way to like buy into decks you know like if you buy it in advance and whatnot and like hope that you can eventually build the deck but i guess that works right i i think the only reason why i even have half the cards i have now is because i kind of fumbled into it by just having all the early staples right uh, around the zendikar area uh, like uh, like era and stuff like that so i, I don't know that that seems that's just uh, that, that's such a weird way to buy into a deck <laughs> so, so do you think wizards should make so either put more reprints in sets which i don't think they're gonna ever do because like why would you play strixhaven if it was like 90 percent reprints right uh or Make another Modern Masters, like, you know, release like three of them a year, like one every year, like one Legacy Masters, one Commander Masters, just amp up the supplemental products so that they can just keep reprinting all these cards. I mean, if if I knew that every year, like, let's, let's just say like how there's like a new Madden every year, right? Or a new NBA 2K. I, and I And I was heavily invested. I would always just buy, save my money, whatever, and then buy the new Madden, right? So would that mean that if I knew that there was going to be a master set that I wouldn't buy a new standard product unless it was absolutely good, like 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 filled with cards that I know I'd play? Because I, I, I'm worried – do you think they wouldn't do it because like maybe they're afraid that people would not buy into as much standard? Because I, I would just then save my money and know that there's a master's product coming every year. And well, just did you, all did my you money save your money for Time Spiral Remastered? Well, Time Spiral Remastered, I'm not going to lie to you. <laughs> okay, but that, that's literally just a straight-up reprint set where they're just going to reprint cards from well, the Time Spiral block well, that are expensive, right? When you say rema- or like when you say a master set, I think like Modern Masters, right? But those or, are new cards. Like, so the, the part you like about Modern Masters – oh, not mo- Modern Horizons. Okay, so Modern Masters, yeah, okay, that's a reprint set, but it's theoretically the best cards excluding like Comet Storm, right? Right, Whereas Time Spiral right. so, Remastered is limited to a block, and you're not interested in that block. Right. So it, it, when you say a re, like a master set, that's what I think of. And if I know that there's going to be a Modern Masters every year, I just save all my money and buy all the Modern Masters product. I sort of feel like Wizards is reprinting, has enough reprint products already. I, I think if you just look at the last year, we had Mystery Boosters. That was a reprint product. We had Jumpstart, which was a lot of reprints mixed in with new cards. We had Double Masters, which was a full-on reprint product. We had Commander Legends, which was partly a reprint product. And then we had uh, just got Times Power Remastered. That's in 12 months. That's a lot of places to reprint cards. I think that the, the bigger issue is the lack of supply on some of these sets. Like, I think that they they don't need more reprint products. They need to print more of the reprint products they're already making. Like, I think Time Star Remastered is the newest and best example of this. Like, uh, Time Star Remastered 
a week ago. I was like, maybe I should get some more boxes. They're 180 bucks. I was like, ah, oh, it's a really good set. I like opening it. I should probably order some more. I didn't do it. I checked a couple days later. It was $230 to get a box. And I just checked today. It's $300 a box now. And we are right at set release. Like this just happened last Friday was the official release in paper. There's just not enough of it to go around. So prices are going up and up. It's becoming less accessible. As a result of the low supply, you're not going to see that big of a drop of some of the singles in the set, most likely. Uh, So I think that having more supply of the products they already do would be really helpful because I feel like if you just look at the cards that have been reprinted in the past year, it is a pretty good list. Obviously, they can't do the reserve list, but discounting that, Wizards has, in one way or another, reprinted basically every valuable card, but Wizards has gotten really sneaky with their reprints. Wizards has, I think, my this is my opinion, this isn't fact or anything, but I feel like Wizards has figured out that they can reprint basically anything they want to whenever they want to, but they can put it in a really big set that has way more cards than usual, like mystery boosters, and you can release it in small supply, and it's not actually going to hurt prices hardly at all, but people will point to that and be like, oh, they reprinted Mana Crypt twice this year. It was in Double Masters. It was in Mystery Boosters. Like, they're reprinting Mana Crypt like crazy, All the while, Mana Crypt is more expensive now than it was before Double Masters, before Mystery Boosters. Like, those reprints aren't actually bringing down the prices of these cards any meaningful amount. And that's true of a lot of the popular cards from these sets. So I think that we need more supply of the reprint sets that they're already doing, more so than just more very limited supply reprint sets. And that's what I'm, like I was saying earlier, like I feel like no matter what, how much Wizards reprints right now, unless they are just constantly emergency reprinting all the time. I feel like the demand will always be just far greater than the the amount of product out there because Commander just keeps growing and making cards like Mana Crypt very expensive. But it's, it's all by design, right? This is all according to Wizards' plan because they could fix this, right? They could make a master set like the same price as a standard set, right? Or they can make it half the price, right? They could, you know, you don't want to like print quadruple the quantity because then they just have all this cardboard sitting around, right? But they can guess like how much is going to sell and they can set the price appropriately so that it does sell. So like Wizards wants these prices high so that they can keep inserting chase cards into their products, right? Like the reason why fetch lands aren't put into every commander pre-con and every... Uh, you know, basically every supplemental product is they want the prices to remain high. So I don't think it's fair to just say, uh, you know, demand is too crazy, right? Like maybe that's fine for a set, but like it's been going on for years, right? Like Wizards has planned this. They set a target price for fetch lands and they make enough supply such that it happens. And I think Seth is right that a lot of it is marketing. Right. They, they put cards into very big sets to say they're reprinted when they're not. Right. They put them into secret layers to make it look like a reprint, whereas they're not. Right. So but Wizards is trying to peg these prices high for better or for worse. I don't know. Right. It makes them more money per uh, pack they sell. Right. But it also like gatekeeps people out of the game. Right. And they've made this choice to set the price at this much. And given that their earnings are like great, you know, the best they've ever been, it's working. Right. So they're going to keep doing it. So I, I think and some blame is put on Wizards. And we can't just be like, wow, Commander players came out of the woodworks and like they can't keep up. Like, <laughs> no, they, they, they've decided to keep the prices like this, right? 
and the community likes a lot of these sets. Like Mystery Boosters is widely considered to be a great set that everyone loved, and that's awesome, but it didn't really do anything to prices. Like, even for random uncommons, like, Triumph of the Hordes was reprinted in that set. Triumph of the Hordes is, like, double what it was when it was reprinted. Like, it didn't go down at all. That's a random uncommon. So, uh, so it's working. I think the marketing aspect of this is definitely working. And I feel like there's always going to be a big divide between at least some segment of the community and Wizards. Because as Richard mentioned, Wizards obviously wants some cards to maintain a pretty high price point because they have the power to make them super cheap if they wanted to. Like they could make any card $5 or less if they wanted to. Like that would be super easy to do. Uh, on the other hand, uh, I feel like Wizards doesn't want to do that. And then we have the community where some aspect of the community is not going to be happy with Fetchlands being reprinted in Modern Horizons and Verdant Catacombs going from $80 to $40 for a year or two, or maybe, and then back up to $80 again, uh, because they want every card to be $5 or less all the time, essentially. And I don't think we will ever be able to bridge that gap. I think the community is always going to feel like Wizards isn't doing enough, and Wizards is always going to feel like, well, we're making a ton of money doing it this way. Like, how can we make it look like we're reprinting it more to make the community happy, but still keep making this huge amount of money that we make? Uh, so... What do y'all think about the reserve list? I think that was that was the next <laughs> the next topic on the list. So <laughs> one of the biggest trends, uh, and this isn't get rid of the reserve list. I think most people, I think we all would rather see the reserve list go away. I think most wizards people, most vendors, most of the community, everyone kind of hates the reserve list. There's not much that unites the whole magic community, but not liking the reserve list is one of the things that pretty much a, a huge majority of the community is behind. But one of the things we've seen with the reserve list is just an insane number of buyouts and price spikes uh, for the last year, really going back to kind of when the pandemic started and we're seeing just absurd prices. We're seeing black lotuses go for $500,000 and just over the top amount of prices. And we're seeing just random reserve list cards on a weekly basis. Singing tree, $750, uh, the abyss, $3,000, forest field from unlimited, not even alpha or beta up to nine, $800. So we have like essentially all these cards are getting ridiculously expensive. What do you do as a a community member, an average magic player, how do you handle this? Do you just write off the reserve list? Do you, I don't know, try to get these cards? Is it going to keep going up? Is there going to be a huge crash? Is this a bubble? Like, you know, tech stocks in the early 2000s or whatever? Like, is that where we're heading into this bubble territory? What do you think about this absurdity and these insane reserve list prices? I think people should uh. just ignore it, right? Like, I could buy out any reserve list card for like say ten thousand a card, right? That doesn't make the price ten thousand dollars unless someone is willing to pay me that, right? So if as a community you just collectively ignore the card, right, then some person will be sitting there with like ten thousand dollar seances or whatever, and like they're just gonna lose money, right? And that's it. But if you think like, oh, I actually need that card, I'm gonna fork over ten thousand. Then was it really a buyout? Like it's worth $10,000 to you, right? So then you paid the price and that is the price, right? So I think you just ignore the reserve list, right? Like a, a lot of times people just talk about the reserve list because they have nothing better to do, right? Like a lot of times cards are bought and sold, which I'm sure no one is playing, but it always makes the news, 
right? Like when it's a Wheel of Fortune, I understand that's a playable card. But a lot of these reserveless buyouts are just like random, jank, common, uncommon, rare, whatever that's like not played. But, you know, people hear about it and then they spread the news and then someone's like, oh, but this is going to go up further. So they buy it. And then you basically have like a GME or something going on where it's just all artificial and there's no substance to it. And the substance is what you make of it. So if you just ignore it, it'll just go away, right? And, the, you know, the actual collectors, people are trying to piece together like one of every card or something. They may be affected because eventually they'll want these cards. Um, but like for a random player, like most of these cards aren't even playable. And if they are playable and they're out of reach, then just just forget about it, right? Like you can't really do much, but just bringing attention to it and increasing the hype around it just further fuels this this movement, I guess, right? So just just ignore it, right? And hope Wizards deals with it because as a community, we can't really do anything about it, right? So just ignore it until Wizards does something about it. But what do you do about the cards that people theoretically actually need? Like, I think a good example might be Underground Sea, one of the original dual lands, which if you're going to play Legacy or Vintage or want to play Optimal Commander decks, is a card that you would want in your deck. And I know we can argue, like, do you need, does anyone ever need Underground Sea for Commander it technically no you don't need any card for a commander but you know some people want to play you know the best possible version of the deck that's a card that if you go back 10 years it was under a hundred dollars even if you go back to when we started the podcast uh, five years ago 260 ish dollars now the cheapest version the revised version of underground sea is pushing twelve hundred dollars twelve hundred dollars for a single copy that means if you want to buy a playset because you're playing legacy death shadow or something it's going to be around five grand just to get your underground seas uh where do you think this goes in the future if we went from a hundred dollars 10 years ago to twelve hundred dollars today does this mean we're going to have $10,000 underground seas 10 years from now? Like, is this going to just keep growing exponentially as there's no new supply and theoretically more new magic players and magic players getting older, having more disposable income? Like, can this trajectory keep going with the reserve list cards? Like, from a purely financial perspective, should people be, like, trying to invest in these cards because it's going to make them a ton of money 10 years from now? No, I don't know. I mean, do you want to invest into pieces of cardboard just based on speculation? Uh, so they will keep getting more expensive, right? Because there's no more being printed. But like you're just priced out. Like just like in life, we're priced out of many, many things, right? Like, yeah, you're now priced out of underground seas and you can't do anything about it because you don't control it, right? So either you feel it's worth you know, $10,000, whatever to buy an underground sea, or you're like, I'm, I'm just priced out, right? Just like I'm priced out of owning a supercar or owning a helicopter. I'm priced out of an underground sea. And that's, that's it, right? Like what else can you do about it? Right. You can't really do much. Should you like sell all your savings and invest in, you know, <laughs> revised duels? Like that seems like a pretty risky proposition to me. I don't know that. You should do such a thing. But again, it's up to you, right? Like people can do whatever they want with their money. But, you know, I wouldn't run out and just buy these cards because they can never be bought again, right? I would just say like, it's unfortunate, but I'll never be able to play with uh, Underground Sea again. Just like I'm not able to play with the Black Lotus, right? I haven't been able to play with the Black Lotus for a long time, right? But now that list of cards includes things like Underground Sea, Wheel of Fortune, et cetera, et cetera, right? And then 
I mean, that's part of the reason we don't play Legacy anymore, right? We play Modern. We play Standard, right? The cards are more accessible. So you just priced out of these old cards. Yeah. What what do you think, Grim? You got any thoughts on on this? Yeah, I'm with Richard in this that like after a certain point, <clears throat> I'm just gonna accept that I'm I'm never gonna have these cards again. Like I I will never own power, right? I, like the closest thing is like maybe <laughs> no, actually none of them are close. <laughs> I'm just not <laughs> think twice. <laughs> That's basically ancestral. <laughs> I will own the booster wrapper that they may have been opened out of. How about that? Let's I'm pretty sure that. that's pr- that's probably pretty expensive. Yeah. Come on, let me have something, Richard. Okay. <laughs> like, like, yeah, like I've, I, as I said, I'm just gonna get rid of all my duels and all this stuff, and I'm just gonna accept that I'm never going to have these back. But the good news here is that, I mean, there are a decent amount of things that are still mostly functional reprints, right? <laughs> like get, cry what is it guy guy is cradle Let, let's be honest here if for some odd reason i was playing green in the first place and i needed that card i'll just use the extremely extremely like budget version of it which is rights of Attilamok and and well done i know those aren't the same card but to be honest with you guy is cradle probably wasn't doing fair magic anyways so i i i just will understand that i'm just not gonna own these cards and that's about it like i i I can't do anything about it and a lot of us will just have to understand that yeah there are things that i will not own and i mean i like sports cards collectors right like people don't they'll just understand that they're not gonna own the first ever i don't know signed michael jordan card you know what i mean like like that card is just like ridiculous and that is a part of the the collectible card game life uh so and it's unfortunate. Yeah, I think I think it's hard to to recommend that people buy, you know, $1000 copies of Underground Sea in hopes that the price is going up. On the other hand, I do think that it if you have the extra money around, it is probably potentially wise to pick up cheaper reserve list cards because literally everything Ghost that's ship. on the reserve list has been like seriously <laughs> like if that's on the reserve list you should probably pick it up like because those cards are going up even if not from a financial like trying to make a profit off of it but if you think you might need it and it hasn't already spiked to a ridiculous price I probably get it now because there's not going to be any more of those and it's really hard to imagine a lot of those cards going down especially with magic still growing and wizards making ton of money and netflix series and all this stuff that's happening like i know for me i used to buy and sell collections so i had this big box of just old bulk rare stuff that literally i couldn't even sell back when i like you know eight years ago or whatever when i was buying selling collections it would have been like 10 cents like literally bulk prices so i was just like eh, i don't know i'll throw them in a box like maybe someday they'll have value and now i'm just like looking through those cards and like my feldegriff is 70 dollars now my auspicious ancestor a card that probably neither one of you could even tell me what it did is $40 now squandered resources $40 now like it's really absurd that all these old bulk rares just because they're on the reserve list are super valuable so I think that would be how I would handle it would be for cards that haven't spiked yet probably not the worst to have hanging out in your binder just because these prices are so crazy and there's never going to be more of them printed unless I guess last question, is there ever a way that wizards gets rid of it? Is there ever a time when wizards like, wow, we could make so much money selling these cards. 
let's do it let's i don't know maybe people try to sue us we'll settle with them or whatever take that out of the huge swimming pool of money we're gonna make doing this do you think there's any chance that happens i i I think they'll find another way to just like print a, a, a version of the cart before that happens yeah they'll just power creep like dual lands yeah, the- we have fetchable tri lands that untap come on son right <laughs> like eventually those cards will just be null right they could totally yeah. do that I, I have a question yeah. for you guys about old cards so mm-hmm. someone contacted us asking why for old cards like some like say beta cards we don't have any prices and the prices we use are tcg player mid which means the average price of listings for the card and for some of these old cards, uh, increasingly common nowadays, there are no listings. There are no prices. The last time the card sold was like months ago. How do you price these cards? And are these car- are the prices even, uh, do they even mean anything anymore? Because they're basically collector items and the price is basically like whatever someone's willing to pay for it. It's kind of like when they find some like old art from some like famous painter and they're like, this could sell for anywhere from five to twenty-five million dollars, and you're like, "That's a pretty big range, right?" Like, what 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 does this mean? So, like for old cars, like how should we price them going forward? Like, what is an Alpha Underground C actually worth? Or you know, like what? How do you make sense of this? That's a really good question, and I don't have a great answer. I think the best that you can do is try to look for the actual price that previous copies sold for uh so ebay completed listings or apparently if you have a seller's account on tcg you can see when and for what price the last copy sold for even though that data isn't publicly available unless you have a seller's account so things like that i think is probably one way to see what vendors have them listed for like out of stock is a big deal uh and that does make it much harder but if card kingdom or star city games or abu or whatever uh, channel fireball has a copy in stock that can give you some sort of guidance as to what the market is at but there really isn't any easy way to price cards like this and i see this happen all the time with just random cards like i was talking about from my collection uh, the one that's been been driving me crazy lately is a uh, <laughs> is a phantasm or psychic venom a common from alpha i have a single copy of psychic venom from alpha and there's one copy that has existed on tcg for like the last few months uh and it is listed for five thousand dollars <laughs> even though it, that is obviously not the price so it greatly inflates my my collection value on goldfish because there's one card where there's one copy in stock uh, but i i don't actually know how you can get a real market price outside of scraping around for completed listings and and hoping for the best essentially i i like the idea of well a little bit of that right completed listings but in in comic book world right you you would buy example you could buy let's just say x-men one right uh and it's not slabbed so maybe there's like a little bit of a price market there but and and it's going to be considerably less than if you got it slabbed through like something like cgc so we do have something like CGC in the card game world, right? So I, I don't I don't remember what it's called. Uh, Richard, do you know what it's called? It's like the it's like the grading system. The, where the two get, grading systems, yeah, yeah. Uh, I forgot what they're called, but there's two of them. Right. So we would use that um, ideally, and then 
that way it makes it a little bit easier because there's a number assigned to like how well it is like a 9.6 or an 8 you know that which could verify like you know it could vary vg but you at least have the grading that you like it the card is right officially graded and then let's say now that you've got you're the only person in the world with a 9.8 underground c you kind of just make your own price and hopefully it sells because i mean you're the only one that has that so you that that is a way for you to sell it and then you can you would be able to justify your listing of it as $9,000 or something like that. But I think, I think whatever the best way to like sell like these reserve list cards moving forward is to get them slapped, turn this into like, uh, like the comic book business. Like when you set, like buy silver age key issues and stuff like that. Uh, and, and, and that's how I would go about it when it comes to selling and buying these things. Yeah. And yeah, I think that's, Good advice. I was going to say, there's no market price for these because there's no market. It's like literally like there's one of these and you're going to need to find the the one buyer and it's whatever you can agree upon as the price. Whereas like a standard card, there are like thousands of transactions happening all the time. There is an actual uh, standard price. But for these old cards, they just don't they just don't sell uh, that often. So last topic I want to touch upon with you guys is how counterfeits play a role into all of this uh you know the more expensive pieces of cardboard are the more counterfeits we're going to get and the more likely it is that someone will buy a counterfeit right like what is the solution to the reserve list right some person may say well i you know screw wizards i'm not paying like a billion dollars for guy's cradle i'm gonna buy a five dollar counterfeit gay's cradle Right. And maybe it looks exactly the same. Maybe it looks 95% the same, but they don't care. And most likely you don't have a loop out looking at your playgroups cards. So maybe you won't be able to tell. Uh, and over time, maybe there are counterfeits that are a hundred percent and maybe there already are today. You just don't know, right? Cause you would just lump them in as real cards. So what do you think about counterfeits, uh, in this world of high value cards? I would never, <clears throat> I would never, uh, tell you to buy a counterfeit card because I think the idea of counterfeits are a big no, no. However, if you're looking to – and we're assuming the person is okay with you know buying something that isn't a real card, then if that's the case, why not just get a sweet proxy that is visibly like just obviously not trying to pass as a counterfeit card? Because at that point, if you were trying to buy a card that looks real, then that's a whole different set of issues that I have with that. Yeah, I think from a more financial perspective, like, uh, I, I'm a big fan of, uh, proxies, not counterfeits, but proxies for, like, casual play, kitchen table play, kitchen table commander, stuff like that. Uh, proxies are a great solution if you need a thousand dollar guy as cradle or whatever and don't have the money for it. As far as the more financial aspect of it, I think it makes what Krim was talking about, the, like, PSA or BGS grading way more important. Like, would I buy a, I definitely would not buy a piece of power from a random person off of, you know, eBay or Craigslist or Facebook market or something. I, I just wouldn't do it. I wouldn't feel comfortable giving a stranger that amount of money, knowing that counterfeit cards are a thing. On the other hand, if it's a graded card, then you had a professional look at it and theoretically, you know, give their stamp of approval on this being an authentic card. So I think for higher end collectible cards, I think that's almost the direction you have to go. If you need a $70 Feldegriff to play in your commander deck, buy it wherever you want to. Like, which, what's the worst that can happen? But if you're getting up into cards that are costing, you know, $1,000, $5,000, $500,000, I think you definitely 
you definitely need a professional to tell you that it's that it's okay and safe. And I think that's also an argument for getting your cards graded. If you're someone who's been playing Magic for 25 years and you're not using your Black Lotus or whatever as a game piece and it's just a collectible for you, I would pay the money to get it graded just for peace of mind in case you ever did want to sell it, because I think that's going to become more and more important as card prices keep going up and as counterfeits keep getting better and better. Well, like you can't grade cards you play in your deck, right? Unless you want to play with actual slabs, right? Like it's like they encase it, right? The whole point is it's like I looked at it, it's sealed off, right? And therefore it will remain in this condition forever. Uh, but also, like, maybe you do everything correct, right? Maybe I, I say, hey, I think magic is on the up, up and up, and I think Wizards is doing a great job. I'm going to invest in 10 underground seas. I go to an official uh, retail source where they have professionals looking at everything. I buy 10 real underground seas. And what happens if three years from now, someone figures out how to print underground seas that pass all tests? Right, because underground seas are now ten thousand dollars, and people are willing to put the resources into like printing these old cards. If that ever happens, and they get out, and they get out and say in an uncontrolled manner, right? If you were smart, you would sell like one underground sea a year, and no one would ever notice. If you were not smart, you would dump them all at once and tank all underground sea prices. And now there is no difference between authentic and fake. And therefore, all underground seas will tank in value and your little retirement fund just went out the window. Like, how realistic do you think that is? Or, you know, have we been like 25 years into the history of magic? People haven't been able to, you know, counterfeit underground sea. It's probably safe. Or do you think the money's not there? Once they hit like 5, 10K, someone will be willing to put the money in to do the correct counterfeit. Well, that's going to be a big part in where like the slabbing companies come in too, right? They, cause like CGC then also kind of looks for like counterfeit stuff, right? So, and then every year when things get better and, you know, more realistic looking, they also have to up their standards and how they grade things. So hopefully you can just catch it. But I mean, it, if it gets more and more and more difficult, I mean, that's the only thing I can think of to really verify it. Yeah, I mean, if it gets to the point where there really is no difference and professional, you know, card sellers and graders can't tell the difference, I think that would have a a massive impact on the market. I think that would definitely have potential to crash prices. My only question would be if that will actually be able to happen, especially for these older cards. Uh, I think... We haven't seen anyone so far be able to figure out how to make cards exactly the same. And theoretically, from the little bits I've heard, that when it comes to like Alpha Black Lotus and some of the most expensive cards, or even, you know, early years dual lands or whatever, that it's actually really, really difficult to make them exactly the same because you got to consider they're using paper from 25 years ago and printing processes from 25 years ago. So it's kind of more difficult to replicate some of that than it would be a more modern card, like an Uro or something. It might be easier to replicate because theoretically they're using, you know, supply supplies that are easily available on the market and anyone could get. So my guess is we never get to that point for older cards. Like, I would be surprised if anyone cracks the code. At the same time, I mean, people do it with currency. Like, there's people that counterfeit US dollars and get away with it and make it look really good. So maybe there's more of a chance than that than I'm giving it credit for. But I guess I'm just skeptical because all the fake cards that I've ever seen have been 
far enough away from real that sure, if you're not paying attention or a new player, they could fool you. And that is a huge issue with counterfeit cards. But if you're a professional and you're a professional grader or a professional vendor, I think it's unlikely with any of the counterfeits I've seen that that you would actually get fooled by them. So I guess I'm skeptical that we get to that point. If we do, it would have a huge impact, but I'm just not convinced we're going to get there. Oh boy. Uh, all right. Any other, any other finance topics? We've actually spent an entire hour talking about this. Oh man. All right. Uh, surprise. I know we we're going to do some fish mail, but I think we have something else that is more important. And, uh, in typical wizards fashion, they told us that Strixhaven spoilers were starting on Thursday. And then literally as we were recording this podcast, we are up to two planeswalkers <laughs> from, from the set that have been, uh, have been spoiled so far. Uh, would you all like to briefly talk about these planeswalkers and have this be, I guess, a, a longer all than right, let's do it. Longer we're going, than we're going for the commander clash two hour special here. <laughs> uh, let's go. We got two mythics uh, planeswalkers. Uh, these are the main set planeswalkers. So these are the real cards. Okay. We have professor Onyx for black, black legendary planeswalker Liliana. What? Liliana's <laughs> professor Onyx. So, I love it. So five starting loyalty. New keyword, Magecraft. Whenever you cast or copy an instant or sorcery spell, each opponent loses two life and you gain two life. That's a passive ability, by the way. And then plus, plus one, you lose one life. Look at the top three cards of your library. Put one of them on your hand and the rest into your graveyard. Minus three, each opponent sacrifices a creature with the greatest power among creatures that player controls. Minus eight, each opponent may discard a card. If they don't, they lose three life. Repeat this process six more times. I am a fan of this card so much, more for multiple reasons. It's Liliana. She's apparently Professor Onyx. This passive is very powerful, uh, like very powerful. And then sure, the rest of the abilities are cool, but like that passive is amazing. And then... I really like that they are now starting to make Planeswalkers playable in Commander. It's now, like, each opponent, right? And and they, they've been doing that already, but I'm just glad to see more of it. So I, I, I really like this card. Yeah, I actually really like this, too. I do think it's very weird that Liliana's not in the name. I don't think we've ever seen this before, have we? Where It's basically, like, Tybalt, right? Like, the Liliana art doesn't really look like Liliana unless, like, you, you, you have to look carefully. Like, if I tell you it's Liliana, you're like, yes. But if I just gave you this art, you wouldn't erect, you know, immediately say it's Liliana. You could think it's a different MTG character. So I think it's more like Tybalt, where on this world, she's Professor Onyx, and nobody knows she's Liliana. She also looks like Angelina okay, Jolie. She does. She she looks Liliana-y, <laughs> though. Like, eh, maybe not exactly Liliana, but she looks close enough that I, I kind of guessed it was Liliana when I saw it, but the name threw me off. I think the abilities are are pretty powerful. Like the Magecraft ability, which uh, when I first read Magecraft, I assume it was like you needed three or more mages and then something (laughs) happened like Metalcraft, but for mages. But apparently, apparently it's a little better than that. It's just whatever you uh, cast to incident or sorcery, it's basically tendrils of agony. Like uh, that is a really powerful static effect to copy, uh, cast incidents of sorceries and drain your opponents out of the game. That's a very strong static ability. Plus one card advantage, negative three, Pretty good removal, and it hits on the biggest creatures, which is nice. And then the ultimate, 
I don't know, maybe wins the game doing it seven times. If your opponent's empty handed, it's going to 21 your opponent, which is a, uh, is decent. If your opponent has a full hand, then it gets a lot worse, obviously. But uh, I think it's a reasonable planeswalker. It is six mana though. So six mana. I would be surprised if this was like a four of type card, but I think it has a combination of uh, of static abilities and loyalty abilities that I could see playing this as like a one of or a two of in the top end of a deck. Yeah, I think I think she's bad. (laughs) I think she's too expensive. Like commander, she's going to die because you can't like play her and protect her is like really difficult. And her abilities don't really warrant anything. Like, I I don't know, right? Just like draw a card plus one. Like that's not enough. Um, so, but if you like untap with this thing, then yeah, you can go off, right? And you can destroy your opponents. But the key is untapping. And at six mana, it's hard to play, protect, and untap. And then in standard, like, I don't know, man, the six mana is basically like forever. So I don't know that you can cast this. And if you've cast this without dying, you probably won already. So I don't know that you need these abilities anymore. So I don't know. Seems. A little, I like to see it cheaper, right? If it was cheaper, you could actually untap and then start using Magecraft. But at six mana, been five it's, mana. it's pretty expensive. And in Commander, though, Black's really good at doubling their mana. So I think maybe it's just a late game card where you get down your Crypt Gas and your whatever and a kind of Revenants and all these mana doublers. And then you play this with uh, Cabal Coffers, play this with like 20 mana and just like go off, storm. sort of storm yep. off. <laughs> yeah. All right. So that's Professor Onyx. We have next Casmina <laughs> Enigma Mage. It's Simic. Sage. Sage. Enigma Sage. One green and a blue. Two starting loyalty. Two starting loyalty. Uh, legendary Planeswalker Casmina. Each other Planeswalker you control has the loyalty abilities of Casmina. Plus two, scry one. Minus X. Put uh, a green blue green and blue fractal creature token into play it's zero zero put x plus one plus one counters on it minus eight search your library for an instant and sorcery card that shares a color with this planeswalker exile that card then shuffle you may cast that card without paying its mana cost so it's simic it's three mana Oh, uh, okay. It's back. Bannable. It's, it's, it's gonna get banned. It, like, it, look, I'm gonna be honest with you. Do I think this card is actually broken? No, but do I want to meme about it? Definitely. Uh, se- secondly, I, okay, I, I think this card, the minus X there, the fractal creature element uh, of it is, is gonna be a big player of it with the, with the card because they had already mentioned, I think, right? Like, or like a while back. Like, I don't know. I, I can't remember. What did they, did they or did they not? I don't know. I feel like the fractal card type though will matter. It's just a wild shot. Uh, there's no actual like logic behind that other than that I think that there's going to be something to do with the fractal creature type. Uh, the, I the mean, plus two is okay. And then you can now have Narset get a plus two, by the way, from War of the Spark. It plays very well ooh, with the War ooh. of the Spark Uncommon Planeswalkers. So just remember that. Now, Narset, the fun never ends. <laughs> that is that is kind of obnoxious that it works with uh <laughs> with planeswalkers that can't normally gain loyalty. I would say the the fractal thing. I would guess that it would be relevant based on, uh, if you remember when they spoiled Oko, no one knew what a food token was. And everyone was like, eh, I don't know, food token, like, eh, that's probably not that good. And then it ended up that food was, like, absolutely busted and, like, really good in multiple formats. So I would be surprised if they were going to put a mechanic on one of their cards. chase planeswalkers yeah. from the set, the face cards from the set, and then have that mechanic not really be relevant or do anything. Like, that would be surprising to me. I think, for me, I don't think this planeswalker is bad. I don't think it's busted. I think the static ability is interesting in a super friend style. 
tile deck is Crim Mention. Being able to make blockers is nice. Uh, scrying one, not the most exciting plus two, but still plus two is nice. It does get you up the loyalty. And then that ultimate, I think, is really powerful. Like, I think if you can get to that, obviously, there are things that just win you the game, primal surges and enter the infinites and so forth. Uh, but even outside of that, getting a Seagate restoration or getting a ultimatum or something and casting that for free, probably pretty good in standard if you can uh, actually get up to eight. And since it comes down early, maybe turn two off of a Gilded Goose, like we've seen that before in standard, maybe you can actually just like rush up to ultimate and then tick down to make some little blockers as necessary. You can so also ultimate I don't think it's, a, by the way, like you, yeah, you I don't think. I don't think it's uh, broken, and I don't think it's a new Oko, but I also think it's probably pretty good. And maybe it's just that I'm scared of any Mythic 3 CMC Simic card, because they all tend to be really broken. So I would guess it's a little better than it looks at first glance. It hits all the so checkboxes for me to be worried. Face card. Simic. What? Ha- has green. You guys are so paranoid. Simic. Like- Simic. <laughs> but but I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna eat these words. There's nothing they can put on that fractal creature. Talking to make this good that you're playing three mana for a one one, right? <laughs> so if you want your planeswalker to live, it could be a two two if you, you sack your planeswalker. Like, what keywords or abilities could they put? Like, it clones itself or something, or its power and toughness is equal to the number of other fractal creatures. It like ancestral Spell visions when you spite, attack, right? But for for. Fractor, at at, at sorcery creature. speed, yes. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> like, this, this card is laughably bad, and I think it was designed at the height of Oko and Uro or something. So, like, yeah, we better tone this down, right? But <laughs> it could have been four starting loyalty or something, and it would probably be, like, reasonable. Like, it wouldn't even be broken, right? But the, the, the one thing Krim mentioned was if you're playing Commander in an older format... Uh, playing this with the War of the Spark ones, uh, Planeswalkers is really sweet synergy. But I, I don't, like, this fractal better win the game if it hits your opponent or something. Like, I don't, what do you think this could be? It looks three mana two. What, what compare if, this what to Oko, like a... right? Compare this to an Uro. <laughs> compare this to any other card you could be doing in 2021. I mean, it might just be, be a creature, but I think it has, like, Obviously, plus one, plus one counter synergies and token making synergies. I I will say I was doing the finance update this week and I was trying to figure out why are parallel lives and doubling season spiking for no apparent reason and Vorinclex too. Why are all these like random plus one, plus one counter theme cards? And then turns out the next day, a planeswalker that cares about tokens and cares about plus one, plus one counters happens to be spoiled. So not saying anything sketchy is going on, but uh, I was confused as why that was spiking. And it makes a little bit more sense now. All right. So fractals going to be the next food. That's what we're banking on. Then like in six months, like we can't believe this was like the greatest card ever. And we'll put it on our miss list. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm memeing when I say Oko, it's the next Oko. Oko looked good without knowing what a food even was, though. See, like the food could have been like a blank card and it would have been fine. Whereas if a fractal is a blank card, this card is terrible. <laughs> I don't know about that. It's pre-release season. Everyone's like, how good is this? What's a food? Like, <laughs> like so... <laughs> We're in the same situation, but I do, do I think this will be Oko? No. Is it fun to meme about it? Probably. Watch it become the next Oko. <laughs> yeah, watch it be better than Oko, and then we're just wrong like about it. Entirely. Like watch like the fractal creature be like uh like tap to add mana equal to the number of creatures you control or something, <laughs> or like the number of artifacts you control. <laughs> this becomes like a vintage staple off the bat. <laughs> 
Oh, you, you never know these days with Simic cards. You never know. No, this is this is the set oh. where I think they're going to fix Simic. And what, what's the next color on their to fix list? They, they've been fixing white. Simic for a couple sets now. I think they're done with Simic. Boros. It's probably white or Boros. Yeah. Somewhere in that that range. So I expect mean, some Boros white. Boros said there's a new white the card that draws three. So. <laughs> Wow. So, well, new cards. We're not expecting that today. I, I assume we're going to have to skip fish mail because we're already going super duper log. But at Richard, in case we have time for fish mail next week, where should people actually send in their questions? All right. You can send them to at MTG Goldfish with the hashtag MTG Fish Mail. And we'll get to your questions when Wizards doesn't drop surprise spoilers on us. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yes, uh, so we will get to them hopefully next week, but I believe that brings us to the end of episode 321 of the MTG Goldfish podcast. So let us know what you think about these new cards. Let us know, I don't know, about finance, if you have any thoughts on that. But Richard E. Cribb, thanks for hanging out. Thanks to all of you for listening. Thanks to Card Conduit for supporting the show. And we will be back next week to talk more Strixhaven spoilers for sure, and whatever else goes on in the world of magic. So until then, have a spectacular week, everyone. And this is the crew signing out.